forgot to hit record. I have to do this all over again. Uh, okay, okay. Well, I, 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 I just recorded this whole thing before this, but I forgot to hit record. So, okay, all right, let's try this again. Um, beginning with the clappity clap, the syncing. By the way, I do this to sync the audio in the video. So here it goes. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I'm dressed uh, in my Andy's Cafe t-shirt. Andy's Cafe is a cafe that happens usually over every summer. We can't have it this year because of COVID. But normally in Cambridge, every summer we have this program called Andy's Cafe, which gathers volunteers from all over the world. Uh, these are a few pictures. This is from 2019. I think this was last year. And this was from the year before 2018. Uh, I'm in this picture because I helped lead one of the teams then. And we have, again, people from all over the world coming to Cambridge to reach other internationals. Uh, just to befriend them, make friends with them, but also to share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I mentioned this just to commend to you. If the opportunity comes up next year, if you're able to have this, please do consider joining and coming to Cambridge and you know being part of this really, really fun, really, really meaningful and really, really useful initiative. One thing that happens during the cafe is we train or we give devotionals in the morning to train the volunteers in speaking the gospel effectively and just in a very natural way to their friends. And the talk that I'm going to be reading out today is one of those talks that I gave to one of those training, um, in one of those training sessions. Um, I think it was to this one, to this group of volunteers. This was last year. Um, at Andy's Cafe and the talk, the title of the talk is called uh, Bad Christians, Bad Christians. And this is based on Mark chapter seven. So here it goes, Bad Christians, Mark chapter seven. In college, I shared a room with two Christian friends, but I remember thinking, they can't be Christians. They're so messy. <laughs> so I scolded them. Doesn't the Bible say cleanliness is next to godliness? You're being bad Christians. I wasn't a Christian then, but here I was, a non-Christian, non-believer, thinking I was a better Christian than my two Christian friends. Two reasons I tell you that story. First, that saying isn't in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not a verse that you'll find in the New or Old Testaments. But secondly, here in Mark chapter 7, the, re the religious leaders were condemning Jesus' friends, essentially calling them bad Christians. In response, Jesus highlights two problems with that kind of thinking. The problem of goodliness and the problem of our cleanliness. Firstly, the problem of our goodliness. I'm not talking about goodness, but something I call goodliness, uh, not a real word and really bad English. I get this from a guy named Philip Jensen. Goodliness means looking good, pretending to be good. And I get this from verse six, uh, Mark chapter seven, verse six, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. Notice these people look good. They honor God with their lips, and they worship God on the outside. But on the inside, God says, their hearts are far from me. Their teachings are rules taught by men. They're pretending and Jesus calls them hypocrites. So go back to the beginning, to the bit about washing hands in verse one. So they gather around Jesus, traveling all the way from Jerusalem, implying this is some sort of inspection. 
In verse 2, they catch the disciples eating with hands that are unclean, that is unwashed. This was a health and safety violation. In verse 3, Mark reminds us of their high standards. The Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of their elders. Meaning everyone did this, the Pharisees, all the Jews, everyone washed their hands. But not just their hands, verse 4, but cups, pitchers, and kettles as well. The washing, you know, it was symbolic of the need for decontamination, detoxification from other peoples and other cultures. Verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, you know, full of non-Jews, you see, the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Who knows what they touched? Who they touched? It's a question of standards, Jesus. God's standards for cleanliness and perfection. Hence, verse 5, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Don't your followers have standards, Jesus? Imagine someone saying that to your teacher, to your parents, to your pastor. If they were Chinese, <laughs> they'll probably say, Hiya, so embarrassing. I'll teach him a lesson. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. He actually says them three times in verse 8, 9, and 13. You've let go of God's word. You've nullified God's word. And friends, he has to say this three times because anyone hearing Jesus would have thought, wait a minute, they are the experts. How can you say, Jesus, that they have let go of God's word? And he says it's because what you're holding on to, what you're teaching, are rules taught by men. It's not the same thing as teaching God's word. I find this disturbing, not least because of what I'm, what I'm doing now, you know, teaching God's word. How do I know that Jesus isn't talking about me, calling me a hypocrite? Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, and worship leaders, how do you know that Jesus isn't calling you a hypocrite? Friends, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who says something, but does something else. Isn't that right? Someone inconsistent. But you see, the Pharisees, if nothing else, were absolutely consistent. The stuff they told the people to do, they did themselves. They washed their hands, their pots, their kettles. They washed everything. They made it their mission to make everyone compliant with the rules. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus calls them hypocrites for teaching as God's word something that they've made up, for doing as God's people something that God never told them to do. They have let go of God's word and are holding on to their own rules. This was a problem in Isaiah's day. It was a problem in Jesus' day. What makes us think it isn't a problem today? If our answer is, because we have standards, our leaders maintain high standards. Have we mixed up godliness with goodliness, God's standards with our own? No, friends, three times Jesus says there is but one standard, and that is God's word. The great temptation is to add to God's word. The great temptation is to let go of God's word. Look at verse 10. 
For Moses said, "Honor your father and your mother," and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, "Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban." That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Jesus says. Today is Father's Day. Well, today when I wrote this message, today is Father's Day. Imagine your son or your daughter saying to you, "I don't care about Father's Day. I'm going to play video games with my friends." That would be bad, but imagine something worse. Something worse. Imagine your kid saying to you, "I'd love to spend time with you, but God says I can't. I wanted to get you a gift, but God says no. My time and my money is korban, dedicated exclusively to God." You see, they use God as an excuse to be unloving towards their father and mother, but. They still want to be praised for following God's rules, blaming God for their unloving acts. Why? So they can look good while doing evil. Jesus is showing us there is something worse than breaking God's law. It's making up your own law. If that is true, then the Bible's definition of sin is not simply law-breaking, but law-making. We tend to think that sin means breaking the rules, like the Pharisees were saying of the disciples. They are breaking the rules. But Jesus, instead of con- instead, he condemns them for rule making, making up rules that have nothing to do with God's word, making up rules as if they were God, as if they were the ones to decide what is good and what is evil. It is the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Wanting to become like God, like the song goes, "I did it my way." If you are a leader of any sort here in church, is that a way you get things done? By enforcing the rules, by maintaining the standards? Could Jesus be talking about you, about me, about that great pressure to make things look good, even for God's sake? That's the sin of goodliness. Making sure the kids behave, the standards are met, the church looks good. Like the Pharisees, we condemn those who don't meet our standards, even those living under God's word. Goodliness has nothing to do with godliness, because goodliness has nothing to do with God's word. The great temptation for any of us who are leaders is to let go of God's word and hold on to our tradition. The great temptation for any of us who are leaders is to add to God's word things that only exist in our tradition. Jesus speaks to the leaders, but next, Jesus speaks to the crowd about cleanliness. Look to verse 14. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, "Listen to me, everyone, and understand this: nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean." What's the big deal about cleanliness? What's wrong with wanting to be clean? The problem is they thought sin was external. That's why they had all those rules about washing your hands, your cups, your kettle. They thought 
Sin is something that contaminates you, like germs. But Jesus says nothing outside a man can make him unclean, meaning nothing external can make him unclean. But they don't get it. The disciples they ask Jesus again in verse 17, "Oh Jesus, what's the problem?" And Jesus replies, "Are you so dull?" And I feel sorry for them if my pastor said to me, "Calvin, why are you so stupid?" Or in Malay, "Why are you so bodo or idiot?" <laughs> I would probably think, "Yeah, I'm quite bodo." But Jesus says, "This is not because of our stupidity." But because of our stubbornness, even though we know our thinking about sin is wrong, we still hold on to it, and that's the thing. Yes, we could blame our leaders for teaching us a wrong thing, and Jesus does condemn the leaders for that. But the truth is, we are lazy thinkers, and Jesus is saying to us, "You should be able to see this for yourselves." Verse eighteen, don't you see? Verse 18. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. I was studying this passage yesterday with a friend who used to work in the NHS, and he said, "This is so true. You know, food, you know, goes in one end, and it goes out." The other—it's basic biology. Your body is like a pipe. You now, what goes in is what comes out. But what Jesus explains here is also basic spirituality. He talks about the heart—the heart, not as an organ pumping blood around your body, but as the center of what you think, of what you love, of who you are. Jesus is able to look straight into your heart, and the question is, what does Jesus see? Verse twenty. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. You know, if I asked you, out of men's hearts come dot dot dot, what would you say? Creativity. Love, generosity. No, Jesus says, out of our hearts come evil thoughts and evil actions. Verse twenty-three: All these evils come from within, from inside, and make a man unclean. Jesus only sees evil actions, only evil thoughts inside of our hearts. I was cycling into town yesterday, and a stream of cyclists. You know, they came out of Parker's Piece and they pulled right in front of me, and every single one of these cyclists was nude, no clothes, <laughs> just their helmets on their bicycles, nude. For the next five minutes, all I saw were butts, 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 and more butts. <laughs> Jesus looks at our hearts, and all he sees is sin, sin. Sin and more sin, an endless flow of evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, streaming out of our hearts. We are paranoid about the evils outside of us, 
But Jesus, he reveals the evil inside of us that we do not see. And when he says, why are you so dull? It's not because, it's because it doesn't even occur to us that I am the source of the problem. You know, we say, it's my boss. Oh, it's that guy who gossips too much. It's those troublemakers. You know, maybe for the first time in a long time, you realize how you might not be the good guy in the story, but the villain that your heart is a wellspring of evil, of wickedness and rebellion. The passage begins with an, an obsession, an obsession with unclean hands, but Jesus ends by focusing on unclean hearts. You can wash your hands, you can disinfect your hands, but how will you disinfect your heart? What we need is a new heart, a renewed spirit. If we pull the two together, this goodliness and this cleanliness, what we end up with is a community, a community of insiders, a community that thinks they are good and everyone else is bad, a community that grows itself through conformity and not diversity. And actually, such a community would look very good. Its leaders would be consistent. They'd be harsh, yes, but they would be respected. Their followers would be cautious of the world of external influences of new things that didn't fit with their old ways. For many of us, that's our idea of church, a gated community, a safe place to call home. Jesus calls them hypocrites, bodo. They have let go of God's word in order to preach their own tradition. They're paranoid of the world, but blind to the evil inside their hearts. Goodly, but not godly paranoid, yet unrepentant. But worst of all, they think themselves chosen by God when in reality, they have been rejected by God. Verse 7, they worship me in vain. All the songs, all the prayers, all the cleansing, all the preaching they did amounted to nothing in God's eyes. And yet, they carried on, business as usual. Mark 7 begins with unclean hands, but Jesus ends with a focus on unclean hearts. You can wash your hands, but how do you cleanse your heart? Answer is you can't. What you need is a new heart, one that actually loves God. And this is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 onwards. I will sprinkle clean water on you, God says, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But notice that in that same passage from Ezekiel, it goes on to say this in verse 31. Then you will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. You see, the heart that is renewed is the heart that is repentant. That is repentant. It knows how evil it is. It knows how far it has strayed from God's word and God's will. Why is it that Jesus repeatedly emphasizes the seriousness of our sin? Because only those who love him will hate their sin. Do you follow? 
It's the reason why it's so important to confess our sins as individuals and as a church regularly. Because there's true forgiveness for sin in Christ. Because it is the mark of a believer in Christ, it's repentance. But also because Jesus Christ died. He died for us as sinners. He took my disgrace and he clothed me with honor. He took my punishment and gave me his reward. If we get that, the Bible calls us to go to him, to go to him through that very place of disgrace and not be ashamed. I get this from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 onwards. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And Hebrews says, let us go to him, let us go to him, bearing the disgrace he bore. I put it to you that this sums up the Christian life, you know, identifying with the shame, the foolishness of the cross of Christ. You will not look good. You will be despised. But what you're doing as a follower of Christ is identifying with a Savior who bore our shame, who makes us holy through his blood, who makes us acceptable through his death for us on the cross. Well, that's it. That's the end of this message entitled Bad Christians based on Mark chapter 7 again, which I spoke at one of the CIO training mornings. Uh, CIO is a um, yearly summer camp that gathers internationals to Cambridge to preach the gospel to other internationals. It does this through friendship, does this through Bible studies, and consider joining this next year. Um, one last thing I want to plug if you're still listening, uh, there's this course that I teach on that I help out on called the Philip Project that's uh, starting to um, open up for re registration. Uh, it's starting in October, but you can register now. And what it does is it just goes through the Bible. Uh, I do a Bible overview that gives you a big picture on the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, how it fits into one storyline. And hopefully by the end of the course, you get this big picture. Uh, but also it's a course to help you with um, those opportunities for ministry. If you're serving in your church, how do you do this better? How do you do this in a way uh, that really encourages other people and builds them up in Christ? And we try to do this by teaching you the Bible well. And this is again what the course is there for, to encourage you and to help you to serve better in your own churches. Uh, this is aimed at internationals or those who are involved in internationals here in Cambridge. And I wanted to mention this uh, now because uh, last year we had such a big group of students. I'm not sure we'll be able to take that kind of number moving ahead this year because of COVID. Um, so if you're at all interested, if this is something that might be useful to you or to a friend, please have a look at it. I'll have a link below or maybe I'll put up a screenshot of the webpage or something. I have a look at the schedule, at the content and consider signing up or just consider recommending it to a friend who might find this useful. Well, thank you again for listening. Um, my name is Calvin um, and well, I've been doing this as, as an experiment. You can either watch this on YouTube or listen to this on Spotify. Thank you again for listening, stroke uh, watching. Uh, take care and God bless. Mm -hmm.